Please stand with me if you're able and take out your Bibles. Open to Acts chapter 11. Our reading as well as the content of our sermon this morning will be chapter 11, verses 19 through 30. Acts 11, beginning in verse 19. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in the charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray before we look at God's word. Lord, we look at this passage and we see how you moved upon your people to spread the gospel, to extend the kingdom, of which we're recipients to this very day. So help us to learn, minister to us, we ask, Holy Spirit, empower me to proclaim your truth. Bless us this hour, we pray that we might bless your name, for Christ's sake. Amen. I'm in the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to all the world and make disciples. Now, how they go in to all the world is initiated by the sovereign hand of God. He, he doesn't tell them that um, I'm going to bring about such, so much persecution um, that you'll be forced to scatter. Scatter out into the world. That persecution began in Jerusalem at the stoning of Stephen. We witnessed a number of weeks ago. Um, it scatters believers. We read in chapter 8 and verse 4 um, that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's chapter 8, verse 4. And here in chapter 11 and verse 19, um, Luke um, picks up where chapter 8, verse 4 left off. Everything in between is kind of like a parenthesis. From Jerusalem, the church was scattered. Remember, Philip um, went out into Samaria, preached the gospel, 
and we saw many converts. From there, he's called specifically um, to run up alongside of an Ethiopian eunuch in a carriage and an entourage, and he explained Isaiah 53. Ethiopia then was referred to as the ends of the earth. And then out into the Gentile nations, we witnessed the last Lord's Day, um, Peter preaches the gospel to a family in Caesarea. So the gospel continues um, to spread, initiated by the hand of God by way of persecution to the people of God. And here in verse 19, so then those who were scattered... Because of the persecution that occurred in a connection with Stephen, made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Just as God promised. There it is. Now, he is indeed with his disciples, amen. And he will be, as he is today, until the end of the age. He is with you. He is with his people. He will remain with his people. And here, at first glance, chapter 11, it may seem like an, an insignificant um, and merely informational passage, but it's much more than that, beloved. You, you, you might tend to think that this is simply about where people are and who's doing what, but we mustn't underestimate the significance being conveyed here in verses 19 to the end of the chapter. Um, Acts 11 highlights the intention of God to keep his church on the move. To expand his church, to extend his kingdom as he relocates some of his people. A transition that, that carries out the very thing he commanded the apostles in the Great Commission. So we're going to look together this morning at, at new places, new faces, new, new, and that which remains the same. Some things never change. The ancient paths, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, with which we open the service with this morning, is one thing that does not change. So new faces, new places, and yet the, the mission um, and the ministry remains the same to this very day. And what we need all along the way, we see it in verse 21, look at it. And the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord. That is his blessing and his power through men who were preoccupied with naming the name above all names, Jesus Christ, men whose names were never given. A new place, a new people, and the men who were proclaiming this truth remain nameless. They proclaim a message that, that never changes. They preach the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll see another man a man with whom we're familiar, and that is um, a good man, a man full of the Holy Spirit and faith, that is Barnabas, the son of, the son of encouragement, a nickname, 
that he received from the apostles. And what I want us to see the Lord's work in this passage through Barnabas. Now, we'll get to him in a few minutes. We have to look at the account and what's going on. Um, but I, but I want to see some, some things through his life um, that apply um, to our lives, to the church, to this very day. So look at it, verse 19. Those who had made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch spoke the word to no one except to Jews alone. So thinking and, and acting like Jews, that is what you do. You evangelize your own people. Why? Well, this group still believed that salvation was for the Jews and that they were hung up on, on nationalistic views of salvation. But here, uh, the Lord, by his providence, is going to break them out of that shell. Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. So here you have some men from the island of Cyprus um, off the Mediterranean coast and others from the city of Cyrene. And these groups of men were accustomed to Gentile contact. Remember, Cyrene is where um, Simon was from who, who, who carried Jesus' cross um, up Calvary's hill. These are adventurous types. Holy Spirit motivated, who do not fit the ordinary ministerial mold, if you will. Here they are, men of Cyprus. And notice the gender specific of those who are preaching. As it is gender specific to this day, who hold the office of elder and pastor, who preach the word of God. And here they are preaching freely and boldly and publicly, zealously about the Lord Jesus Christ in Antioch. Antioch. Antioch was, was founded and established in 300 B.C. And by this time, the population had reached upward of a half a million. The third largest city in the ancient world, third to, to Rome and Alexandria, Egypt. It was famous for culture, famous for commerce. Several Roman roads crisscrossed Antioch, making it a destination for caravans of the east to unload, un unload and, and warehouse um, their merchandise. Very popular city, and it, and it was such an attraction that Antioch periodically hosted um, the Olympic Games. Nevertheless, Antioch was also a very wicked city. Even in the eyes of Rome, one writer, um, Juvenal, a Roman writer, he said that the Orontes River that ran through Antioch spilled its garbage into the Tiber, the Tiber River. That is to say that Antioch corrupted Rome. You must be pretty wicked if you can corrupt Rome in this day. Now, although Antioch honored all false deities, there 
in Antioch, their, their local shrine was dedicated to Daphne, whose worship included prostitution, the cultic prostitution, with open immoral practices. I mean, they built a garden park 10 miles in circumference where there was open indulgence, nothing hidden, no one blushing. Antioch. Antioch was to the Roman world what Las Vegas is to ours. You know what it is? A very honest city. Candid. They hide nothing. Immorality that's exercised in Las Vegas is not hidden. There's no blushing in Las Vegas. They're not trying to hide anything. They're not trying to cover anything up. Such was Antioch, even more so. And there, in, in places like that, you get a much clearer indication of what humanity is really like. Antioch. A home for hedonism, where people live for, for pleasure. It was a cesspool of iniquity, a vile place where the Lord God Almighty decreed to plant his church. It's like a lovely rose planted amongst the ugliest of weeds, and Antioch will come to be known as the cradle of Christianity. Such is the Lord merciful. Such is the Lord who's always been merciful. You remember when he called Jonah? Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, that great and mighty city. Its wickedness has come up before me, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. He went in the opposite direction. The Lord catches up to him, of course, and he spit out upon the shore, and he walks into Nineveh, and he preaches. And by the time we get to chapter 4 of Jonah, we read this, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are gracious and merciful. <laughs> You're slow to anger and abounding, abounding in, in, in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Why was he so embittered? Why was he so angry? Because he hated the evil Ninevites who turned to the Lord. Now, unlike Jonah, these men aren't running from Antioch. They're running into it. In verse 21, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large number who believed what? Turned to the Lord. They turned to the Lord. Notice a very simple connection in this text. You preach the Lord Jesus Christ and the hand of the Lord is with you. The hand of the Lord is with them because they preach Jesus Christ. They preach Jesus Christ because of the hand of the Lord is with them. The hand of the Lord means power, power for blessing. So a large number who believed 
turned to the Lord. Now, unfortunately, I've met many people who believe the truth of the gospel and have yet to turn to the Lord. You can believe and not turn to the Lord. You, you, you can have intellectual assent that agrees with the person work of Jesus Christ and not turn to the Lord. God forbid. Repent and believe. That's a command that comes from the Lord and you shall be saved. Turn to the Lord. So they, they preach in what would appear to be the most unlikely of places, but God's hand is with them. And we, of course, have seen throughout the books of Acts as, as the apostles preach the gospel, God pours forth his spirit, his hand is upon the work, and what happens? The church grows. Numerically. We see an increase. We saw it in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Gentile regions, large numbers coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in our day, uh, we tend to think that any time the church is growing numerically, visibly, that that must be irrefutable evidence that the hand of the Lord is upon that work. Not so. Not so. When human devices are used to attract, attract the masses. R.C. Sproul points out in his commentary, the best attracted, the best attended rather, the best attended worship service in biblical history, guess where that took place? At the foot of Mount Sinai. While Moses was on the mountain talking to God, Sproul says the people were assembled in great jubilation joyous, singing, celebrating as they danced around a golden calf. So what attracted the great numbers on that occasion, it was not the word of God. It was idolatry. Don't be fooled. That's the warning. Just because something grows in number doesn't mean God's hand is on it. God's hand is on the work here. You know, there are ministry methods today baked into the cake of appeal, loaded with what I would call idolatrous calories, and it hooks people. You get hooked on this sugar high, if you will, on nonsense and methods, anything but the word of God. Not truth, not truth. Just give me something. Truth hurts, so make me feel good. So people call all kinds of things ministry today, but if they're not preaching the Lord Jesus Christ, if they're not declaring the whole counsel of God, regardless of how many hands they're holding, it's impotent. It's an impotent work. It makes no difference. Don't be fooled. Yet, notice, when God's hand is on a ministry, it grows, it grows. Number one, first and foremost, it grows a people into mature manhood or womanhood. Into him who is the head, Jesus Christ, no longer to be children, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, Ephesians chapter four. So you grow spiritually and also the church does grow numerically. 
And here then in verse 22, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So here, um, news of, of, of a large-scale uh, work of God producing all kind of, kinds of conversions, that is, of the Gentile people. It called for com- confirmation from the mother church, Jerusalem. So the apostles uh, delegate to one who's um, highly regarded, um, highly respected, one they nicknamed uh, Mr. Encouragement. Barnabas. Who else are you going to send to a place like Antioch? What, a critically spirited person? A negative person? That's the last kind of person you want to go to Antioch. They send Barnabas. So they know what they're doing. They send Barney. They want to send one who has theological depth, but is also very discerning and affirming. Barnabas. You know, others might say, you know, those Gentiles, they're unclean, they're uncouth. They don't know the scriptures. Of course they don't know the scriptures. God just saved them. Verse 23, and when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, what did he do? He rejoiced. You know, he doesn't look around at these brand new believers who you can be certain have not reached maturity and you, you know for sure had some rough edges. He doesn't fold his arms, stand back, and criticize. Well, they're not like us Jews. I mean, look at the way they're dressed. They're not quite where they need to be. Of course they're not. Hey, look. Aren't the colors of that guy's tunic and the style of that tunic associated with, with the shrine of Daphne? I mean, after all, I think we, went, we, we know what goes on in the parks of Daphne. Does he do that? No. Neither should we. How many new believers have it all together when they first say? Did you? Whoever did, stand up. So Barnabas discerns that these idol-worshiping, hell-deserving pagans, notice, had received what? The grace of God. The unmerited favor of God. Now, regarding criticism, there there is no shortage of nitpickers, even even within the church, unfortunately. Don't be a nitpicker. So Christian, let me ask. Think about it. Do you only look for flaws in other people? You may, be, you may be able to find legitimate flaws, things that aren't right, even things that aren't necessarily wrong. They just don't fit within the corner of your own convictions. That can go on. The question is, are you, dear Christian brother or sister, also able to say, yes, but... There is the grace of God. I see the hand of God in the grace of God in and on that person. Or are you quick to say, there it is again, just when I think you're coming along? (laughs) What falls off your lips 
criticism or grace? You see, grace is what Barnabas saw first. He recognized it, notice, and was glad, verse 23, and he rejoiced and began to encourage them all. So notice, with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. That is, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Sounds almost redundant. But, as we are regularly reminded, the Bible's filled with redundancies. How many times have you said to yourself, when I say something, you say, oh, there he goes again. Seems rather redundant. Yes. Never forget it. Never forget it. And never forget it. The Bible speaks with redundancies. The same truth over and over and over again because we forget. Notice he says, look, I want you to remain faithful, remain true, maintain a steadfast purpose. It means the same thing. He was encouraged, he he rejoiced, he saw the hand of God, the grace of God on their lives, and you know, he, he didn't say, well, now that you're saved, I guess I can go home. No, keep on trusting, he said to the end. I'm here to encourage you along the way. Don't give up, don't let in. We need to be told that continually. It's easy to slip. It's easy to backslide. It's easy to begin to justify your actions and or your inactions. He says, don't do it. The the, the tentacles of the world are reaching for you. The world wants you. It's going to pull on you. So he encourages them. Okay, why? I mean, why did Barnabas exhort them, encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord? Notice the connective. Verse 24. Why? Because or for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. In other words, what he did arose out of who he was. A man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So he then exhorts others to be faithful to the Lord. It's always that way in the Christian life. That's why we were reminded this morning what love is and what it's not. We see love exemplified, Christian love exemplified through Barnabas. So who you are dictates how you live. You you are a child of God. You live in response to that. You're justified by faith. You live in light of that. You're sanctified You're being sanctified. You live in light of that glorious truth. That's what Barnabas is doing. He's living in accordance to who he is, rejoicing and exulting in the grace of God poured out upon these Gentiles in Antioch. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound saved a wretch like you like me. Amen? And, notice, considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Beloved, 
Do you have any idea what speaking the word of the Lord might mean for one person? To speak encouraging words of gospel truth to another, that is, encouraging them to remain faithful to the Lord and what that might mean for the kingdom of God. I was thinking about that this week. People I've known, Christians or professing Christians, going back like 25 years or so, and in how you find out, I found out a decade later, something I said 15, maybe 20 years ago had an impact like last week. It's amazing. Why? Because it's the Word of God. It's amazing. My wife and I had someone in our home, we're going to have windows put in the back of the home, and, and, and the sales rep happened to be someone who remembered us. They saw our name come up on the computer for this appointment from 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So it was quite a meeting. Words of encouragement, boldness, coupled with wisdom and grace and patience and prayer. You have no idea what that may mean for the kingdom. That's amazing grace. This, this is who Barnabas is. Barnabas sees this great work of God, and notice another point. He, he, he has nothing to do with this work. He's not the one preaching. He says in response, this is great. This is wonderful. He encourages them. And what do we see? New faces, new places, but something that remains the same? Thankful delight. He's delightfully thankful. That doesn't change because it's all the work of God. Notice he does not look around and say, who are these nobodies leading great numbers to Christ? Who do they think they are? You see, pride hates to see others succeed. Not Barnabas. Pride also says, how come I'm not being used like this? Not Barnabas. Instead, he affirms God is using these men. Don't know who these men are, but God is using them to lead others to Christ. Glory be to God. Barnabas. He doesn't become jealous or envious of a work that by the human eye seems to be exceeding his work in the ministry. You know what the most basic of all sins is? It's most dangerous? Covetousness. That leads to envy and jealousy. Or jealousy and envy produce a covetous heart. They're all just kind of meshed together. That's the mess of sin. He rejoices. Love it. And what does love do? Love defers to others. Notice verse 25. So he rejoices in the work being done by nameless men, faceless men. And he left, verse 25, for Tarsus to look for Saul, one who will become very significant within the kingdom of God, the apostle Paul. Now, at this point, he has a prestigious, significant role of leadership in Antioch. And yet he goes after Saul a converted Pharisee from Tarsus. And this is where Paul has been for a few years now, 
since his conversion. We know that he went to Arabia. He he was um, taught and discipled by the Lord. The Spirit of God led him there. And here he is in Tarsus, his hometown. You know, sometimes you turn a page of the Bible and 10 or 15 years have passed. Reminding us, God is in no hurry. Because God is what? Daniel students. Daniel students, Sunday school. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. So verse 26. So he left and found him and brought him to Antioch. Now he, 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 he leaves for Tarsus to look for Saul. He, he seeks him out. That's a word that means like a, a serious vigorous search, and he finds him. Remember after Paul was converted in in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27, he went to Jerusalem and attempted to meet with the apostles, and what was their response? They were afraid of him. The, The people in that region feared that he was a spy. He's pretending to be part of us because he wants to destroy us. And who showed up? Verse 27, Acts 9, Barnabas. And he brought Paul, he brought Saul to the apostles, and he declared the truth of his conversion on the road to Damascus. He was met by the Lord. This guy's truly converted, fellas. And there was Barnabas. And he testifies on his behalf. The church needs people like Barnabas peacemakers peacemakers he works and makes peace between the apostles and one who will exceed them in ministry for the kingdom that is to say love hopes all things that's Barnabas love hopes all things love believes all things is love naive is love naive No, love is discerning, but it believes all things. It hopes all things. Love is optimistic. And here's Barnabas, very optimistic. He goes after Paul. He's already joined him together years before with the apostles. And now he runs for him. We need peacemakers. We don't want contention within the church. Now, Paul will embrace this later on when he writes the church at Philippi. Look at what he says I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. That's a public statement to the church of Philippi. Indeed, true companions, notice what he does. I ask you also to help these women whose names are in the book of life. Remind them that they're saved. They stand on equal ground. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is it. Near. So that is to say, whether in Antioch or Philippi, you have new faces, new places, the truth of gospel unity and rejoicing together does not change. Another lesson. Does not change. We all know about the disagreement that will arise between Barnabas and Paul. We'll see that in Acts 15. You're familiar with that? After their first missionary journey, they return here to Antioch. 
to Antioch. Acts 15, verse 35, if you want to look at it, notice, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark along with him also, but Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Now back in Acts 13, John Mark starts out with them, but he departs and Paul viewed him as weak, is a quitter. So in verse 39... And there occurred a sharp disagreement that separated them from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas. So the question is, who was right in the matter? Which one was correct in his analysis and which one was mistaken? Yet Paul, a type A personality, driven... And hard driving, committed, a kind of guy who takes no guff. And then on the other hand, you have Barnabas, was a very gracious, merciful, and willing to give John Mark another chance. They separate, and God doubles his mission. That's the diversity in the church that we need. Another lesson. Do you want type A personalities in the church, driven and hard driving? Amen. But that's not all you want. <laughs> we need Barnabases. Barnabai. <laughs> Compassionate. And he doubles his mission. There's another lesson through Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is eventually vindicated as John Mark turns out not to be a failure. For instance, look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul writes to the church of Colossae, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. You know, Barnabas may have had a vested interest in that John Mark was his cousin. 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's last letter, verse 11. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. So lesson, beware of giving up on someone too quickly. Amen, husbands and wives? Amen, brothers and sisters in the church? Let the church say amen. Amen. Love encourages God's work. Love does not squelch the work of God. That's what we want at Pacific Hope Church. That's what we want here. We've seen that here. You exemplify this for the most part. This is what we want. We rejoice. Verse 26. For a year, they taught the church in Antioch. Barnabas leaves. Okay, remember, he wasn't intimidated that, that, that the work of God was being poured out through these unknown men. He departs, he goes, and he fetches Paul. They come back and they teach 
for a year, and it is here that they're first called Christian. A derisive term. A derogatory designation for these people. Having heard about this Christ, they're always talking about this Christ, so they started calling them little Christs. Or, or Christers. So it was probably derogatory. So we have new faces, new places. What doesn't change? Notice the teaching and the preaching and the discipleship making of God's people. You teach the truth, you preach the truth. They're there for a year teaching. And then verses 27 to 30. Prophets come down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and began to indicate by the Spirit that there would certainly be a great famine all over the world. That is the known world in that day. And this took place in the reign of Claudius. And in the proportion that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brethren living in Judea. And this they did, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now, history verifies this. Claudius, who ruled from 50, uh, 41 to 54, um, during 45 and 46, history tells us that um, there was a great famine and no crops came through. We read this through the records of Tacitus, Josephus, and Eusebius. So it came to pass. So he was a real prophet, Agabus. And in response... To that, notice, they gave. They were determined to give. Notice, it's not that they thought about it. It's not that they sat back and considered it. No, they were determined, and according to their ability, they gave. New faces, new places, same fruit of the Spirit, generosity. They were determined. The spirit of generosity characterizes the church, or it should, wherever she goes. Determined to give. One of the ways you can recognize the people of God, generosity. They don't bellyache about giving. This is sacrificial giving. This is where you feel it. Don't, don't nod your heads, don't raise your hands. But when you give, do you feel it? In your checkbook, do you feel it? Determined to give generously. And they did it, verse 30, sending it in charge of Barnabas and Saul to the elders. Now they reflect, do they not? This Barnabas, yet again, who was a very generous man, Remember Acts 4? Barnabas gave generously. He owned a piece of land. He sold that land, and he gave all the proceeds to the apostles. He laid it at the apostles' feet, distributed to the church. Love is generous. Love is sacrificial. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So here, here again, Barnabas living in accordance to who he was, that is, who he is in Christ Jesus, is a great encouragement to this congregation, and they reflect his kindness, his goodness, and his generosity, and they're determined to give. 
So who you are dictates how you live and how you give, Christian. If you complain about giving, you're like, oh, here he goes. Bear with me. People actually get on me at this church because I don't talk about giving enough. But think about this. If you complain about giving, you are likely not one who exhorts or encourages others to remain steadfast, wanting discipleship, and wanting to disciple others. They all go hand in hand as fruit of the Spirit. So exhorting, discipling, giving within one's ability all go hand in hand for the furtherance of the kingdom. Amen. Let the church say amen to that. Amen. You are a giving church, by the way. Love it. Even so, when we look at the life of Barnabas, love is not enough. People who are Barnabas kind of people, love is not enough. Mercy and compassion is not enough. Generosity, it's not enough. Barnabas was a great man, full of the Holy Spirit, but he was a flawed man. He was a sinful man who needed the cross of Jesus Christ. Deserving of hell. You remember in Galatians 2, when Peter comes to Antioch, right here, and Paul opposes him to his face? You remember that? Well, look at it. Galatians 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, that's Peter, I opposed him to his face. Well, why? Why? Well, because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain Jews from James, that is from the church in Jerusalem, he used to eat with the Gentiles there in Antioch. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas, Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Point. Barnabas, like everybody else, needs the gospel. He needed the cross. He needed the work of Christ. If you're an unbeliever here, you need Christ. You need the work of Christ on the cross on your behalf. You need his perfect life on your behalf. You need his righteousness as a cloak in his mercy that shrouds you by faith and trust in him alone. You need the gospel. We, the church, need the gospel. A flawed man. Barnabas needed the forgiveness of sins that comes only through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we can look at him, but we must understand that everything starts at the cross. And from out of there, the righteousness of Christ is put on display. And yet he was a flawed man. So here we have these new faces, these new places. They proclaimed the truth of God. That does not change the gospel of Jesus Christ, which expands the kingdom, extends the church, preaching the gospel. That's what they were doing. Teaching, preaching, and equipping, exhorting, encouraging, and giving. Those things don't change. This is what we learn. So in Antioch and throughout the book of Acts... God moves people on to invigorate the church and strengthen the church, whether it's through persecution, migration, famine, new jobs, new opportunities, 
God moves his people about. How many people have we prayed off from this pulpit since January this year? Can someone help me? Twelve adults, and I don't know how many children. And they've relocated. And what are they doing? I can assure you, the ones I know about, they are joining together with other like-minded believers in new places as new faces, and they are, with a resolute heart, exhorting people and giving generously there. I received a message from one last night. Isn't that great? That's what it's about. So they're going to take all the truth that they've learned here over the years onto and into a new community, a new place, as a new face, adhering to the same truth of the gospel. Isn't it beautiful? And God extends his kingdom. He's sovereign. Gracious, merciful. Lord God Almighty. And God is bringing new faces here. New faces to a new place that you will hopefully carry on the kingdom work of the Lord Jesus Christ through gospel proclamation. Doesn't change. Some of you have been here for 12 years or more. And I want to thank you all for your faithfulness. Some of you have been here four years, six years. Some of you two months. Some of you two weeks. This is all we're after right here. The gospel, extending the kingdom, proclaiming the truth, discipling God's people in the truth. It will bear fruit of the spirit shown to one another in love, having first been loved by God in Christ. Let the church say amen. 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 So in his providence, he's gathered together this, this particular church in Antioch. Today, 2,000 years later, he's gathered together this little church here in San Diego. And as he does that, we're reminded we're not ultimately home yet. Amen? We're pilgrims passing through, and we're reminded some things don't change. Some things must not change. So therefore, as elders or leaders in the church, we must always guard the flock and we must protect against, um, uh, against any false ideologies that might attempt to come through the door or false doctrine or dividers and so on. And then as we all grow together, we more, more easily discern those things. And then the church continues to do what she's called to do. And this is a beautiful Example of it here in Antioch. Growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So his church, Christians, care about the kingdom, or should, care about the furtherance of the kingdom. They exhort, they encourage, they remain faithful to the Lord, encouraging one another also to remain faithful, rejoicing in the work generously. Notice the repetition that wrap up. Verses 21, 24, and 26, and the hand of the Lord was with them. And a large and large numbers who believed turned to the Lord. Verse 24, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. Verse 26, for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. 
We grow up in the grace and knowledge of Christ, and he grows his church out as those people are discipled. Very applicable, is it not? He is pleased in the matter of a few verses how his kingdom is being built. Christ's name is being honored. They're scattered because of persecution. In this case, people are believing through ordinary methods of ministry. The preaching of the word, the teaching, and so on. Beautiful. Ordinary means carried out by very ordinary people, led by very ordinary pastors who are pointing you continually to an extraordinary Lord. Are you with me? Very simple. He who lived and died for sinners, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was raised from the dead, making atonement, forgiving sins of those that are his. He died for his sheep. He is now seated in glory in heavenly places who promises eternal life freely and unconditionally to all who will receive him. If you haven't received him today, turn to the Lord and you shall be saved. Again, repent. That's the message and that is the mission that the hand of the Lord blesses. May we be faithful in maintaining the locus of our focus. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, this is his church. Amen? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Amen. Antioch, the cradle of Christianity. Praise be to God. Lord, we thank you for your divine sovereign work shown to us throughout the pages of Scripture in this glorious work in Antioch, a place that was so wicked even Rome looked down upon it, and yet it's referred to as the cradle of Christianity, the headquarters of the Gentile church in those early years. We rejoice, we praise you. Help us, Lord, to carry the torch as you extend your kingdom for your glory. Help us to be faithful. We need your grace to do it. Give us the strength we need to endure constantly maintaining our focus upon the author and finisher of our faith, your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For his name we pray, amen.